Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for July 7th, 2019. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, Sparking Joy. When we moved two years ago in a first attempt at downsizing to fit our empty nest, after being in the same house for 17 years, I gave a whole lot of consideration to the issue of keeping and throwing away. I really admire people who throw away without effort. It is painful for me to throw away. But... I always consider, what if I need that thing one day? It does not matter that I've not needed it for the last five years or ten. I might need it next week. And then there's the sentimental value of stuff that I 100% agree that I don't need, but I am attached. The thing conjures memories that warm my heart or make me smile. So that was two years ago that I went through my own house. One year ago, my brother and sister and I went through my mother's entire life. As it turns out, I get it honest. She never threw anything away. And I mean anything. I'm pretty sure she kept every twisty tie from every loaf of bread that she ever purchased. And egg cartons and out-of-date prescriptions, and burned-out light bulbs. Yes, burned-out light bulbs. And every card my father ever gave to her on her birthday and on their anniversary, and every paper clipping of anyone related to us who made it to fame in the local Clinton Chronicle, and every wedding invitation that she ever received. You can see that I could go on and on. She was not a hoarder. Her house was neat and orderly, but she had very large closets and chests filled to the brim with everything. Apparently for her, and a little bit for me, there doesn't ever seem to be the right time to throw away. It's always time to keep in my way. And that's why I'm never inviting Marie Kondo to my house or into my life. I have been fascinated by her this week. I don't know if all of you know Marie Kondo. You will Google it when we leave here, I'm sure, if you don't. But I've been fascinated by her this week as I've pondered this stick from the preacher of Ecclesiastes, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Marie Kondo immediately popped into her mind, into my mind with her strategy for sparking joy. The Con Marie method is pro-organizer Marie Kondo's minimalism-inspired approach to tackling your stuff category by category, not room by room. So you tackle all of your clothes then you tackle all of your books, then you tackle all of your furniture, then you tackle all of your papers. 
And here's how the method works. The end goal is to have a house full of items that spark joy. Kondo is a Japanese cleaning consultant. She doesn't speak hardly any English, and she has this irritating smile of happiness with her whole presentation. (laughs) You really have to watch her method of folding. It gets on my last nerve. She does not believe in stacking. Everything folds till it stands up. Ugh, she wears me out. But she has become a household name with her best-selling book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. There are six rules in Marie Kondo's world to get started. Number one, commit yourself to tidying up. There's where I fail at the beginning. I'm not committed to it. Number two, imagine your ideal lifestyle. Number three, finish discarding first. And before you get rid of items, sincerely thank each item for its purpose. Number four, tidy by category, not location. Number five, follow the right order of things. And number six, ask yourself, does this spark joy. Now, many people associate her method with tidying, but as I read more about her, it's really about discarding items that lack value. Because you're actively choosing the items that spark joy and discarding the items that do not spark joy, the intention of the Marie method is to end up with a clutter-free home that's better able to bring more joy and prosperity to your life. That while tidying up, she encourages you to visualize the life you want to live. For example, to be less stressed. And then determine what you need to get there. And anything that won't help you on that journey isn't deserving of your space or you. Somehow, I'm pretty sure that the writer of Ecclesiastes is not all that concerned with the tidiness of your home or the clutter of your life. But when the preacher spoke about this time of seeking and losing and keeping and throwing away... I see a connection to a little bit of Marie Kondo's work. Her approach stood out to me as I've considered this text for a modern world. And here are the two things that she talks about that I think the preacher of Ecclesiastes would agree with. What holds value for you? And what sparks joy for you? Do you value human life? Then by all means, seek that which brings life and lose that which keeps you from truly living. I'm going to start here because it's the low-hanging fruit. How can any of us watch the news and not want to get in our car and drive to the closest detention center and take some water and clean clothes and maybe some toys and puzzles. Anything to make the living better for people 
who were so desperate to leave one dire situation that they would risk something that sounds to anyone with any sense of what is humane as dreadful and horrible. We all, each one, each side of the divide need to lose our loyalty to partisan politics in the name of what is good and right and just. And we need to keep what is wonderful about our freedom and act for the good of all people. We need to lose our need to defend our ideas so that we can be free to help anyone and everyone in need, no matter whether we agree or disagree with them. For us, as Christians, that means even if they came here illegally, we are called to a higher expectation of compassion and generosity. Let's let the politicians sort out the ugly details while the church thinks creatively about how we might actually make a difference for refugees in our midst. That was the low-hanging fruit to me. I've read so many times, if you go to church and your church doesn't say something about that, find another church. Well, I don't want you to have to find another church, so I said it today. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? We don't have to agree on the politics of it to be the church and help people in need. If we value human life, then we need to lose the prejudice that resides in each of us. No matter how liberal you believe yourself to be, prejudice and bigotry remain ensconced in the crevices of our psyche in ways that are destroying us. We need to keep our calling that has come to anyone who claims to follow Jesus, that our service is to the least, the lost, the outcast, the poor, the rejected, and the oppressed. If we lose sight of that, we are doomed. We need to keep the order of things in which Jesus commanded. First shall be last, last shall be first. That's the order of things. The greatest among you will be your servant. That's the order of things. That's the order we have to keep. It goes against our cultural grain, but it is imperative that we keep this way of thinking first and foremost in our minds. It is an effort for sure. We have to remind ourselves constantly. I think it's one re reason that we come to this place with any sense of regularity because people of faith are just about the only ones saying these kinds of things, and not even all people of faith are saying them, but they should. If we value our own life, then we need to lose the fear that keeps us from living fully. The fear that keeps us in self-protect mode all the time. We need to keep courage in the face of our fears. To take risks, risking something big for something good. We need to remind each other that we are not in this alone. We need to keep ourselves surrounded by people who uplift us and affirm us and point us in the right direction and walk alongside us on the journey. If we value human life, 
then we have to speak in ways that lift up and not tear down. How we think about others matters. How we speak about them matters even more. We have to lose our malicious gossip and our hateful speech, and we have to keep working to build up the kingdom of God with words of affirmation and hope, and we have to keep accountability to one another to make sure that each other's words are welcoming, affirming, loving. And we have to keep the courage to call out when people are being vile and vicious. But these affirmation words, they begin by doing this for ourselves. We need to throw away the negative tapes that play in our heads. And we need to keep the words streaming across our internal news feed. I am God's beloved in whom God is well pleased. We need to keep the three simple phrases that can save our lives as the banner that runs across the story of our lives. Make it your meme. You are loved. You are forgiven. Be at peace. We need to keep close at hand the command to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And we need to seek to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If you value inclusion, then you need to seek hospitality and offer radical welcome to all. If you value equality, then you need to throw away old ideas of hierarchy and patriarchy. If you value mercy, then you need to keep practicing forgiveness. If you value freedom, then you need to seek liberation for those who are enslaved to systems that are destructive. But aren't these nice, pithy sayings that sound so good in church? If we were to actually practice them, then that means that we might just have to forgive that person that has so painfully wronged us. Or we might have to speak out on behalf of minorities to make sure that they are being paid a fair wage. Or we might have to actually share a meal with someone that is radically different in looks or in lifestyle choices or in ideology. Getting rid of the clutter of our hearts may be more than even Marie Kondo can give us the step-by-step approach for. Marie Kondo and the preacher of Ecclesiastes may just be forcing us to take a really close look at ourselves and consider what it is that we truly value in this life. And as we begin to lose and throw away anything from our lives and from our hearts that keeps us from being like Jesus, then we will start to spark joy, not only for ourselves, but for anyone around us and in our path. Have you ever seen the face 
of someone who has known rejection and alienation and exclusion because of their sexual orientation or gender identity when they are offered a place of full inclusion? It's just one example. I could name a lot. But have you ever seen the face of someone in that moment when all they've known is being thrown away and someone decides to keep them? Especially in church. Because the church has for so long been the first to condemn and the last to offer apologies when we've been wrong. So I'll tell you one story. Back in the 80s, when I was doing chaplaincy training at the hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, my supervisor challenged us young would-be ministers to consider entering the room of a person with AIDS without gowning up and wearing the face mask and gloves. This was the 80s. He said that that level of precaution was unnecessary and that all of the restrictions noted all over the person's door was mostly in an effort to further exclude the drug addict or the homosexual person. And while there were medical procedures where that level of precaution should be adhered to by doctors and nurses, the chaplain's role was safe. This was the 80s. Some in our group continued to gown up out of the hyped-up fear of AIDS. I think they were mainly afraid of gays, but they said it was AIDS. So I decided to take the path of courage and mercy. I don't always do that. I wish I did it more than I do because every single time I've ever taken that path, it has turned out to lead to such a great destination. So I tell this story not to pat myself on the back, but to convict myself to do it more often. And to ask myself, okay, the scary AIDS crisis seems to be behind us. Where am I supposed to be taking that path of courage and mercy in 2019? So anyway, I took the path of courage and mercy one day in that hospital. And I'll never forget tapping on the decorated door of the man with AIDS. The decorations were the gowns and gloves and face masks. I bypassed those decorations and walked into a dark room. I stepped beside the bed of a very thin man. He had not shaved, and he looked like he felt terrible. He looked up at me and read my badge that labeled me clergy. I reached out, and I touched his hand. And I slipped my fingers into the palm of his hand, and I just held his hand. And as I touched him, it was so obvious in the look on his face that my skin touching his skin was the first real human touch he had known in quite some time. Thirty years later, this fear of AIDS seems almost foreign to us. But in that moment, I was able to throw away fear and judgment for me then. And I was able to keep 
the way of Jesus. Throwing away fear and judgment and keeping the way of Jesus, that is what the writer of Ecclesiastes was talking about. But I think we can take a page out of Marie Kondo's work. Go category by category of your heart. Room by room of your heart. And throw away all that keeps you from living a Jesus way. And keep all that you've learned about love. And then step back and watch the sparks fly. It will be sparks of joy. That will be better than any 4th of July celebration you've seen this week. I can promise that. Now if we could just practice it. Marie Kondo says it begins by committing yourself to tidying up. Our hearts need some tidying. At least mine does. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.